I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. You're listening to Muses and Stuff. This is the podcast that's all about the dolls. They were the groupies, the wives, the girlfriends, and the muses who played such a huge role in rock and roll history by simply being themselves. They were sweet, sexy, brave, and powerful. They went after what and who they wanted, and they made no apologies. We are your hosts, Shanti and Lynx. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hey there, this is Christian Swain from the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Rock and Roll Archaeology? What's that you say? We are a podcast network dedicated to digging deep into the amazing music that exploded out of the second half of the 20th century. We believe the music, culture, and technology wove together, and it is an important story of history as, say, the Italian Renaissance or the Impressionists of Paris. We have six shows, all with a different side of this incredible time. Rock Talk with myself and host Peter Ferrioli, Real Rock, and that's R-E-E-L, hosted by Andy King. Vinyl Snob with the legendary Dave Whitaker. Rock and Roll Librarian with the headmistress herself, Shelley Sorensen. Deeper Digs in Rock, where I interview famous rock and roll personalities and the people who scribe the times and events. And finally, our full telling of the history of rock and roll, the Rock and Roll Archaeology Podcast, which started it all. Find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So let's get back to Between the Sheets of Rock and Roll with Shanty and Lynx. And muses and stuff. How's it going? It's going great. Really good. Happy to be here. Happy to be recording a new episode. It's the first real snowfall. Mm-hmm. Got in a view of it. Yeah, it's beautiful. I like it. I like the winter. I love snow. I um, am the opposite. <laughs> actually, I was on my I was on my way to your house, and uh, I heard a Mac DeMarco Christmas song. Aww. He did simply having a wonderful Christmas time. <laughs> it's a really funny cover. It's really really cute. Oh, that's nice. I would recommend listening to it. Um. So today it's actually pretty appropriate that we're coming up on Christmas and 
this episode is coming out. This is one that I've wanted to do and this is a person that I've wanted to do for a really long time and I wasn't really sure why I was being so drawn to this person and then I read her book and I went, oh yeah, I think we're like two birds of a feather. Um, I'm going to be telling you about Ginger Gilmore today. Yes, I'm so excited. I've had her book for a while and I guess it's sort of like you with Marianne back in the day. It's just been there, but it's something I just have never gotten around to. Oh, so you so haven't far. read it? No. I thought because you had the book, you had read it. No. Okay, cool. So this so, yeah. is going to be brand new to you too. I am looking forward to it. And the reason why I'm saying it's like appropriate that it's Christmas yeah. is because Ginger Gilmore, like, is the embodiment of the Christmas spirit. Just joy all year round. <laughs> she is just like. Peace on Earth, Angel, just a beautiful soul. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. So I'm really excited to tell you about uh, the book that I read, and I um, watched a couple of interviews that she did online, with, like Conscious TV, and uh, I'm going to be bringing you the episode from her book, Memoirs of the Bright Side of the Moon. Yes, great title too. Great turtle. <laughs> Great turtle. Nope. <laughs> Great turtle. Try that one again, bud. Great t- title. Um, so straight off, you know, she says at the beginning of her book, and I think it's a really good way to just describe it, it's a journey that reaches far into what is special about being human and divine. Perfect. So if you were to look up Ginger Gilmore on uh, the internet, first and foremost, you would see it says Ginger Gilmore artist. Cool. She's totally an artist. She is an artist through and through. And um, if I haven't mentioned it yet, she's also the wife of David Gilmore for many, many years. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about their life, marriage, and their children. Perfect. Mm-hmm. David Gilmore was such a babe back in the day. Oh my good God. And so was she. I mean, she still is. You look yeah. at her and she's, and, and David Gilmore is still an attractive man too. Um, Just an older But my man. God. Yeah. Both of them smoking. smoking yeah. Mm-hmm. So the book isn't linear at all. Cool. It is interesting because... We get the stories of her, her childhood, and what actually happened within the marriage as we get into the book and as we get to know her. So it's really an unraveling as it goes along, whereas there are some, um, you know, books and memoirs that we read that just kind of start right off the bat. I grew up here, you know, and went on. So I was, it was like I was piecing things together to make kind of a more of a linear episode as well. Yeah, that's not an easy way to research, but it's a interesting way to read a book yeah yeah like she unravels things slowly um speaking mostly of the light you know like light things her beginnings with David um and like the book is really written with a lot of love and it's about love and I was like two-thirds of the way through the book knowing that David and Ginger ended up separating with being like what happened here? Like, when does this happen? Like, what's, this sounds like a perfect marriage to me. But it slowly unravels going from light to shadow back to light again, which is smart and interesting the way that she wrote it because it's a story of self-healing and discovery. And she was big into, big into Jungian theory. Okay. And so, as we know, that's where, like, the shadow self comes yep. from, and that's kind of going towards in there, reaching in, acknowledging it, and then coming back into, like, a greater understanding of awesome. consciousness. Cool. So, yeah. She put thought into how she was going to present. Yeah, things. I think so. So, one thing she says pretty early on in the beginning of the book is, I was an ordinary girl with dreams and visions of finding adventure, not knowing how big an adventure I was about to experience. This is the true story of my life and how I was challenged, survived, and resurrected like the fabled tale of the phoenix rising out of the ashes on a journey with a band they call Pink Floyd. Nice. Mm. <laughs> so Ginger met David Gilmore of Pink Floyd when she was living in Ann Arbor, Michigan in 1971. So she's an American girl. Yeah. He was an English guy. Uh, She was 22, and he was 25 at the time. Um, At the time, she was living with a friend, and she had her own boutique. She was a child of the 60s, and she really didn't want to be held down by any traditional values. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and of her boutique, she said, our boutique served as a place that would give advice to women on how to find their own identity beyond keeping up with the Joneses and being carbon copies. Nice. Yeah. So she was like really unique, like cool, beautiful young girl that was like independent and she was doing modeling and just, just yeah. The perfect sixties woman. Yeah. yeah. Um, each year the university of Michigan had a festival on the last weekend of October and would invite uh, known and unknown bands to play. That year, it was Pink Floyd. Wow. Yeah. Originally, <laughs> she didn't want to go to the show. She was convinced to go by two of her friends. I think one of them might have been her boyfriend. Um, but she wasn't, like, really into the whole, like, rock and roll scene. And she thought maybe, like, her friends that were bringing her were just, like, wanting to show her off. And she was like, yeah, I'm not into that. But they convinced her to go, and she went. Um, she said that she ended up wearing a maxi dress that she just bought for her boutique and lacy boots. And she had like long flowy, you know, gingery probably kind yeah. of hair. Um, their seats were a few rows from the front of the stage. And because her friends were a couple of big fish in a little pond in Michigan, they went backstage to meet the band, but she just sat there. Um, she said that the sound of, so she was sitting at the, like a couple of, seats from the stage and she was watching the guys on stage do their thing yell to each other not the guys in the band but like the road crew mm-hmm. and she was saying it was their accent touched her heart as they shed into <laughs> each other across the the stage um so the roadies left the stage the lights dimmed the band entered and the audience went silent she said the magic began with embryo faddled son and david's guitar rick's piano pierced the silence held by the sounds of roger waters bass guitar and nick's drums hmm. So she was blown away. After the show, she did end up going backstage. Oh, somebody changed her mind, I guess. (laughs) She said David was wearing a black shirt that said, that's all folks. Mm -hmm. And she said that she thought he was so handsome. She was just chatting with somebody from, like, a client from her boutique, which made her feel good because she was very, very shy. Mm -hmm. And she said that um, David walked up to her and introduced himself. Of course he did. She said, I looked up at him, his blue eyes penetrating my heart with the sound of his voice. Time stood still as I stumbled to answer. Aww. So she invited the band and, you know, her friends over uh, for the next night to come over to her house for roast beef and Yorkshire pudding. (laughs) Among the people that arrived, the band showed up first. Um, She said Roger Waters, Nick Mason, and Rick Wright. So Sid's not in the band at this point. Yeah. Um, took their places on our long leather couch. David sat on the floor near the record player, his hair falling down over his face as he looked through our albums. He became our, became our DJ for the evening. Oh, I'm just picturing that beautiful hair of his and his beautiful eyes. And, mm. Yep. <laughs> One of the guests that evening told her, Ginger, I think you should be with David. Aww. They were pretty much inseparable ever since. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, like for the next ten years. And they would marry and have four children. Crazy. And I'll tell you all about it. Awesome. One night, shortly after the dinner, they all went out roller skating, uh, which she loved. But someone had given... I read later, it was in an in interview that it was Alice Cooper. Okay. Had given them mescaline. But in her book, she just said... Really? Someone had given them mescaline. Okay. So at first, David didn't want to go and didn't want to meet her because he, or didn't want to see her because he didn't want to be around Ginger in that state. But they convinced him, um, and so they went, and he pretty much just like clung on to her the whole night. Okay. Um. <laughs> so they got to the roller th- rink, and the lights dimmed, and the music began to play. Um, Whatever happened to roller rinks? <sighs> Great question. It was such a big fad. And it's just disappeared. I went uh I went to a roller rink once. For the music video. For the for the bros music yeah. video. And I roller skated <laughs> for five hours straight. Um you can find that video online <laughs> for about two seconds. <laughs> five hours of roller skating. <laughs> it was a lot of fun though. Um but there is one wherever that video was shot, I have to remember just a little bit outside of Toronto. It yeah. was a lot of fun. Um, so anyways, he was just clinging on to her. She said, I could feel his body next to mine in the darkness. Energy surged through my being. My heart opened. I felt we were melting together just in his touch. All my life, I dreamt to have a union between a man like this. 
And when she started zipping around the roller w- rink, David said to someone, that girl is a dream on wheels. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> no. Um, so she was in a relationship at the time. And so she met David after that to discuss them becoming an item. So they met kind of secretly at a Chinese restaurant and the owner overheard them and offered to read their tea leaves. He said, there will be a change. There is a house with white birds across the waters. More on that later. Yes, okay. Okay. At this time, Ginger was modeling and had started acting. She had gotten the lead role in a movie, which was a mix between, what she says is a mix between Easy Rider and West Side Story. However, she didn't accept the role. No! And instead joined David on tour and pretty much never left him. So she didn't regret that decision ever. Yeah, well... She had her children out of it and everything. Mm. She says that his hair smelled like strawberries. Oh, I was I was wondering that. Yeah. Finally. Finally. <laughs> we know that Jimmy Page's <laughs> hair smelled like Pantene, and we know that David Gilmore's hair smelled like strawberries. strawberries. Yeah. So she joined them, um, joined him in the band on his last few weeks in America, which is 12 more shows. They left New York, went to Cleveland, Buffalo, and Montreal. Each night, she sat by the mini mixer behind the curtain on the side of the stage, and every time David came off stage, he would, like, have her sit on his lap, and he would just hug and kiss her until he had to go back on stage. Well, no wonder she was like, screw that movie role. So she loved Montreal, by the way, just side note. Yeah. She said there was snow everywhere and that she found Canadians to be warm and gentle people. Wow. That sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Of David, she said that he had a great heart and really honored his team that he worked with. She said he was gentle and caring, though most of the time held in his silent, quiet English way. This would later prove to be one of the big problems of the relationship because they had a lot of silences together, which led to a lot of communication problems. Yeah. She said it was almost poetic because as an American, she was so free with her joy and feelings, and it was just not the case with any of the English English dudes that she was, um, I'm paraphrasing here, that she hung out with, you know, (laughs) and for the next 10 plus years and for her whole life. But she stayed in England for a very long time. It makes sense. I mean... They definitely grew up in a much different manner than most Americans did at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, David had supportive parents who were very well cultured and living in New York. Uh, Ginger met them and they all got along great. Ginger says that David's mother was intelligent, highly creative, and a bundle of joy. She was actually a film editor. Um, And they became really good friends over the years. Uh, She also had an English quietness about her, but not as much as David's dad. Mm-hmm. who was a geneticist with piercing, thoughtful eyes. But she said that they were a really close couple, really nice um, example of marriage, and she would find them, like, kissing and dancing in the kitchen. Oh, well, that's sweet. My parents used to do that, too. It was so sweet. Oh. Always dancing in the kitchen. So, you might be wondering about Ginger's upbringing. We started talking about David's, David's parents, and I'll tell you now, just to give you a little bit of a background about Ginger, instead of, like, making you wait until halfway through the episode. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, her, her name at home was Charlie, as her father was named Charles, so she wasn't born with the name Ginger, mm-hmm. and her family continues to call her Charlie Ann to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, her mom's side of the family has a super interesting story. Her grandmother was the youngest of 22 children in 22 Boston. 22 children? Yeah. Oh my god, that poor woman. Her grandmother had four children and put them into orphanages, and she was a sex worker. Ah, uh, Okay. Um, her mother grew up in the orphanage and by four years old was scrubbing floors. Wow. And Ginger says her mother, of her mother, in the orphanage, no time to be held, no time to be a young child. Yeah. So Ginger's mother was often ill and suffered from colitis and all of life's challenges made her anxious and fearful. 
So Ginger was from a Coast Guard family. Um, her parents separated. And so her Ginger's mother and father had her and then her little sister. Mm-hmm. And then her parents separated and she remarried eventually. Um, but they moved around a lot. And so Ginger focused on her studies and tried her best to adapt. Um, but she had many wounds occur as a child. Ginger did, mm-hmm. which I'll tell you in a second. But she always came back to love and beauty as the cure. So she really got got through her things and yeah. really um, dealt with them and like, accepted them mm-hmm. and from the dark found the light. Good for her. It's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. So there was some confusion and trauma in her childhood. She remembers one day her mother packing her and her sister up and bringing them on a train. This is before her brother was born. At a stop, her father was there, and all of a sudden she was in a tug of war between her mother and her father. And then her father took Ginger and her sister away from her mom, Mm. hiding them at their grandparents' place in New Jersey with his parents. Okay. And then she says of that, and I forgot I had a mother. Wow. So she enjoyed being at her grandparents' place and said it was like a fairyland haven deep in the woods. One day, her mom and aunt showed back up, mm-hmm. and Ginger didn't even remember her mom, because that's how young she was. Yeah. So then her mother took them back on a train to Connecticut, where she stayed with her mother, her sister, and her aunt. And it was then that she got home that they found out that they had a half-brother. Wow. it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. So the younger brother was obviously from a different man. Uh, her mom had met him, and I believed he was like a part of the circus, and he didn't stick around. He left her when she was pregnant, and Ginger's father didn't accept Ginger's brother as his own, although the brother was raised to believe that Ginger's father was, was also his father. Oh, that's so upsetting. So when Ginger was on the phone with her dad... yeah. Her little brother would go, let me talk to daddy, let me talk to daddy. And the dad would go, that's not my son, I'm not going to talk to that bastard. But the poor kid didn't realize it's not his parent. Yeah, yeah. And so there was like a lot of obviously underlying pain there. You can imagine how she felt having to tell her brother, sorry, he can't talk to you right now. I think she was confused too. Of course. Um, so while her mother worked, Ginger was responsible for taking care of the kids and making their meals. Um, and eventually her mother did meet and marry a man who took all of the children in and they all became very close. Okay, that's good. Yeah. So let's get back to the tour. Yes. So sometime during the tour, she was sitting on David's lap and in the back seat, someone asked her, so Ginger, are you coming back with us to England? (laughs) She looked at David and he said, do you want to? And she did. Aww. So she said dreams upon dreams were coming true. The whole time they were on the flight back, she couldn't believe it. They held hands and napped. And <laughs> When they arrived in England, it was time to go to David's house. So they drove through the countryside for a very long time until they got into the driveway, into the driveway where a bunch of white doves flew into the sky at the sound of the oncoming car. Wow. So the house with the white birds, and of course, it's across the water from the States. The home had a stable and barns, and so Ginger loves animals. She's always loved animals. And actually, speaking of which, you know, this episode really couldn't have been written without my faithful companion, Chester the Cat. <laughs> yes. Um, actually, no, it it took me longer to read it and write it because I had a cat like, cradled like a baby <laughs> yeah. in one arm the whole time and then, like, highlighting and, like, <laughs> notes and stuff with one hand. So, anyways... I think Ginger would be happy to know that this episode was recorded with, you know, a lot of love and yes. a lot of cuddles and a lot of just like, oh, I love my life. I love this animal. Um, So he had a stable in Barnes. He had a duck called Digby, a city cat called Gretel, oh. a slightly deaf white cat called Naomi, and a retired shy horse called Vim. Years later, she was told by her friend um, that David was really proud of her, of finding her, of being with her, and he was really excited to bring her back home. Um, And they were so in love. They were always, like, kissing and holding hands. That's so sweet. Yeah, so she had been making about $1,000 per day modeling, and now that she was in England, she didn't have an income of her own. Oh, yeah. 
Um, she was a great cook, though, and learned how to be creative in the kitchen and entertain their friends and guests with great meals. Um, but, you know, once most of the friends left and it was just her and David, it would be, like, him and the boys in the studio smoking spliffs and watching television. And she yeah. was kind of, like, cleaning up after them. So they would be, like, hanging out with Humble Pie and their girlfriends, and she just kept accumulating more animals and more cats. <laughs> um, David also loved animals, and one day she called David and asked, home if she could, if she asked him if she could bring home a billy goat that was going to be put down. And he reluctantly said yes, but he ended up uh, finding the billy goat, like, a little feeding bottle to drink from, and he Aww. would feed the billy goat. <laughs> so Ginger got into the antique uh, trade, into antique trade, um, she had a little stall on King's Road selling Art Nouveau antiques and other objects of beauty. Um, Pink Floyd's Echoes was being recorded at the time at a chateau in France, and so they went there, they ate, they slept, and they recorded for two weeks. Nice. Um, just, like, hung out there while yeah. it was being completed. And, by the way, uh, David speaks perfect French. Wow. Could he be any more perfect? <laughs> <laughs> he could be, and yeah. I'll tell you yeah. how. Yeah. <laughs> Here it comes. <laughs> Not yet, though. <laughs> she accompanied Pink Floyd to Japan, and when they arrived, there was a big sign that read, Welcome Pink Floyd. <laughs> <laughs> she loved Japan and would for years and years um, come to see it as one of the big places that her spiritual journey began. She said it was there that um, her future way of eating developed, which was simply, beautifully, and simple, beautiful, and sacred. She was also inspired in the art of bonsai and also the philosophy and the art of living. She said that she was in a garden that took a year to design because the gardener sat there to watch the movements of light and shadow throughout every season. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so during this tour, the band, or she called them the Floyd, okay. were testing Dark Side of the Moon. Since Japanese audiences showed no emotion, oh, no. <laughs> they were perplexed <laughs> when the audience did nothing after each song, even though the songs had been great. But anyways, they ended up going to Switzerland, where they drove from London across Europe in a convertible. Uh, she was so happy and couldn't stop looking at his eyes and his hair and his face and kept asking herself, is this really happening? Uh. <laughs> they bought a house in Lindos, Greece, which became a sanctuary for them to raise their children and children in peace over the years. Throughout her book, she gives detailed accounts of the time spent together in these beautiful locations, on boats with David at the back holding the tiller, and her at the bow and of both of them picking up suntans. Lovely. But all the while, she was questioning herself. Who am I? Yeah. Will you love me? Will I love me? You know, so as the material things were growing, she was really questioning the internal things and, um, and like, really getting into spirituality. Yes. I believe this is where they started to divide. Yeah. Um, so these kinds of questions propelled Ginger to find her purpose and her soul's mission. So we know that she became a brilliant artist, um, but ultimately through her teachings and spirituality, spirituality learned that she is on the planet to serve. Um, she recently participated in a global webinar called Spirit of Peace, and she believes that mankind is on the verge of a breakthrough, not a breakdown, as she was once like as, as one of her gurus once told to her in this moment in history, and that peace can be on earth. Okay. But more on that later. Okay. So let's talk about vacations more. Let's do it. Yeah. You want to talk about Morocco? <laughs> I'd love to. So they're in Morocco, and Ginger sees somebody walk by them, and she goes, hmm, that looks a lot like Mick Jagger. <laughs> <laughs> and David goes, well, that's because it is it Mick is. Jagger. <laughs> so Mick Jagger was on vacation, or on holiday, as they call it, and Bianca had just left. Mick wanted to be their tour guide, so they had dinner and then went to one of his favorite discotheques. <laughs> on the way there, the rest of the band, or like some other people, were supposed to come with them, but they were in a cab with Mick Jagger, and I think he wanted to hang out with just them, so they somehow lost. Like, the they got rid of the crew. Aww. <laughs> and um so it was just the three of them at the discotheque. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. 
Ginger said that Mick danced for most of the evening at the center of the crowd, where he raised his arms and swirled around to the music. <laughs> I can so picture it. I know. Later, when they returned to the hotel, the rest of the band were like, why didn't you take us? And David just shrugged his shoulders and did a sheepish David smile as they returned <sighs> to their room hand in hand. Aww. Ginger said this about David. Living with a musician and loving a musician was such an adventure. Creativity surrounded me on many levels, which encouraged my own artistic development. I was a witness to David's music as it was given birth. Sorry. I was a witness to David's music as it was, and it gave birth plus... Oh, fuck. Sorry. I fucked up that quote. It's okay. Blah, blah, blah. Anyways. She started creating sculptures. Small at first... They were little pink resin roses for Christmas presents. And then she, like, later on made huge Big. installations, like, feet high. And you can see them all online. Like, they're beautiful. Awesome. She really does, like, make beautiful pieces of art. So here's a fun story about Kate Bush. Um, Rick Hopper brought David a tape of a 15-year-old Kate oh, Bush yeah. at the time she'd... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so at the time, she'd show up in her school uniform and record her songs. And yeah. David was helping her with this. Yeah. I had no idea. So Ginger and Kate grew to become great friends, and Kate wrote a song called Man with a Child in His Eyes, which she thinks was, like, you know, a love song for David, although he was, like, a big brother to her. Yeah, I think it was about this guy that she was dating at the time as well. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was, like, a mixture of them both. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So at the time, they were recording Wish You Were Here, so we're about 1975. Um, So just, you know. Great song. Ginger and David were planning to get married um, when Ginger got a message from someone on behalf of George Harrison. It was something along the lines of, George would like to take you out. I would like to get that message. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Right? She had always been a Beatles fan, so obviously was pumped, but sent back the message. Please tell George thank you, but I am so in love with David. And she hoped that someday they would all become friends. And it turns out that they did. Ginger, David, George, and Olivia ha- uh, Olivia Harrison. Yeah. But more on that later. Cool. <laughs> so just shout out to uh, our listener, Sammy, who has been asking for Olivia Harrison uh, more. She's in this episode a little bit, so there you go. Cool. The Floyd were having some problems with their concerts at this point because they were becoming more like a rave party instead of an experience that takes you on a journey. Um, Roger Waters is quoted as saying... I cast myself back at how fucking dreadful I felt on that last American tour with all those thousands and thousands and thousands of drunken kids smashing each other to pieces. Mm. I felt dreadful because it had nothing to do with us. I didn't think there was any contact between us and them. Mm. Ginger also noted that, in a peculiar way, this experience would later inspire the albums Animals and The Wall. So you get some really great Pink Floyd tidbits in here. um, And you get to, like, get to know and hear about the internal goings-on within the band. Um, Ginger mentions that the tensions in the band did creep into her relationship, but it was hard to get a good sense of what was going on in both relationships because David kept most matters to himself. Yeah. Yeah, so they ended up um, getting engaged when David came back from tour, and it was on the ride home that he proposed to Ginger. Uh, The Floyd were then recording Wish You Were Here at Abbey Road Studios, and he arranged that they get married in the UK. So they married on July 7th, 1975. She wore a simple white cotton summer dress, and David wore his blue jeans and a Welcome to the Machine black (laughs) t-shirt. Rock and roll. Rock and roll. When it was time to give the rings, they had both totally forgotten about that aspect, (laughs) but later he had one designed for her. Afterwards, they went to the pub to celebrate, and then they went back to the Abbey Road Studios to finish recording, and you'll never believe who was sitting there. Waiting. Any guesses? Other than a beetle? Wasn't a beetle. (laughs) I don't know. It was a former Pink Floyd member. Sid Sid was there. I almost said Sid, but I was like, Mm. that's a little too out there. (laughs) Yeah. No way. So as we know, Ginger says, their lost love and the tragedy of Sid inspired the creation of Shine On. Yeah. And then they were in the middle of recording it when Sid appeared, weather-worn and without hair. They stumbled to have a conversation, inviting him to listen to a track. Sid just sat there lost on the sofa, wondering why. What a day to ponder. What a day to remember, she says. Wow. 
Ginger became yeah. I love Sid. Yeah. Ginger became pregnant with their first child, and during her sixth month, they went traveling to the West Indies. Of their communication, she says, David and I always seemed to be comfortable in sharing our adventures in silence. We spoke when necessary, allowing us to savor the moments of every experience. This was not out of conscious intent. It seemed to be where our natures met in unison. So again, this ended up being both a blessing and a curse for their relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but reading this really made me um, want papaya with fresh lime juice <laughs> and coconut pineapple smoothies. <laughs> Sounds awesome. It does. So they went swimming, and on the hot nights, they would just, like, lay in their bed and feel their child growing inside her. Like, really sweet stuff. She said David was so supportive and went to classes with her to prepare for the baby's arrival, and their daughter Alice was born on May 8th, 1976. Cool. She continued to tour with David, and now it was her, a baby, and a nanny. The gigs were getting bigger and louder, and the families of the band and entourage were growing as well. She said um, she was getting a little battle-worn with all of this, and dealing with fame and the material world was continuing to be a challenge. Because they kept getting more money, they, you know, like, more famous. Yeah. And because her and David were so, like, quiet and shy, like, it was a lot to deal with. Um... So, she said that um, when they were, like, starting to do Animals, that the album and the gigs portrayed this very aspect of our supposed modern culture and our inhumanity. Mm -hmm. So, the tour was a reflection of the sorrowful state of what was happening in the world. Yeah. In addition, the topic played on the stage was also becoming backstage. So, it was filtering in to, of course, the band and into their home life. However, they continued, concert after concert, baby in tow. Okay. Yeah. So, she said, early mornings, even with a nanny, traveling with a on a private plane, unpacking, packing, hotel after hotel, food on the road, the gig in the late nights um, was not quite what I thought the path of love and motherhood would be. Yeah. However, as I have often said, there was something that made all that okay. Between the traveling, the gigs, the groupies, the alcohol, the sleeping pills, the uppers, and sometimes cocaine, we were a mule train linked together by a common experience. Yeah. But Roger Waters' like unending pain and anger was a real dark shadow over everything. Um, Ginger wasn't big on drinking or drugs and eventually went totally sober. Um... But there was, like, a time where she was, like, getting really tired. She went out with everybody. She was going to take a little bit of cocaine. Ended up being heroin. I don't know. And so, like, yeah, she just didn't do that before. Um, she'd usually watch the shows from the mixer in the middle of the room. And, like, you'd never know when more, like, celebrities would just, like, show up and come backstage. One day Madonna walked backstage and Roger Waters was really rude to her. Really? Yeah. Um, they're animals in the flesh. Uh, gig has gone down in the Guinness Book of World Records as being one of the largest rock and roll concerts in history. Cool. Yeah. So vacations were great. Can, like, you know, they would take their time off after all of those big stuff to go recoup, rewind, be together. Um, and they vacationed with Susan and Graham Nash, who became really close friends, and also vacationed with Simon and Garfunkel and Carrie Fisher back in Windows. Yeah. Back when she was with uh, Paul Simon, I guess. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But, you know, back to tour they went, and the band was playing psychological games with each other. And at this time, Roger was, like, spinning on the audience. Yeah. Yeah. So Ginger was kind of done with this lifestyle and really started to open to the paths of her higher self and, as she says, to God. She was inspired to take yoga lessons and to meditate. She stopped eating meat and reflected later how that have, might have been difficult for everybody in this rock and roll world to adapt to. Almost like a divide of like, well, you think you're better than us. Like, yeah. You know. It's um, interesting because it's like Joe Wood who sort of brought like organic living yeah. into the tour for like in a time where that sort of wasn't the norm. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And that's like, I think I was joking in, like, the first couple of episodes of this podcast. Oh, look at the snow. Yeah, it's really starting. 
um, yeah, joking at, like, the beginning of this podcast, being like, oh, I'm eventually just gonna, like, get the rock star thing out of my system and then just, like, get a yogi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> my boyfriend is neither of those things right now, but... <laughs> It somehow works very well. Um, So she became pregnant with their second child. And around this time, she was also inspired in her own artwork. And she always, uh, so she was painting. And she always wanted to do artwork for spiritual teachers whose philosophy uplifted humanity. There's a pretty funny story, um, or just, like, interesting at this time of Roger wanting to remove Comfortably Numb from the new album, and this was, like, one of the only times she ever saw David lose his cool, oh. and he exploded because it was his song, uh, and see. it ended up, obviously, being, like, one of their biggest the hugest, bests. Just, like, yeah. 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 Um, but Ginger was introduced to Tibetan Buddhism, and as soon as the album was finished, uh, their daughter Claire was born. So right after um, the birth, and she was really into natural home births, things like that, um, David, Alice, and Claire all had a bath together. And so she said, like, she just loved seeing David as a father in this way. Mm-hmm. And he was a really great father. Oh, um, one time when she was at a party and she was feeding Claire in the back room, Andy Warhol came in and had a chat with her, telling her to call him when she was back in New York so they could go shopping. <laughs> Um, they bought a home close to Fire Park where George and Olivia were living. She says, Fire Park will be an experience I shall never forget. I felt so honored to be there. As we entered the large gallery hall, I just didn't know where to look first. There was so much beautiful art everywhere. The walls were carved with images of fires by the original carpenter. An original Tiffany standing lamp stood near the high back couch before the large fireplace. The dining room had William Morris stained glass windows and wallpaper with peacock reliefs. My eyes and mouth were in awe. Even the light switches were the faces of monks in brass. The switch being their nose. I would kill to go to Fire Park and just wander around. There. Right? What is Fire Park right now? I don't know. Yeah, just like some one random person own it and live there, or we need else? to figure that out. We do. It should be like a museum or something, mm. or like a hotel you could go to. Their home became a spiritual place for her, and also a magnet for spiritual concepts and people with a similar vision. I think this sounds like it might have been tough on David. Like, he didn't understand or thought maybe, like, she was being led into some kind of weird direction by a bunch of weirdos. Yeah. Um, But really, it was her way of finding true happiness, joy, and a healthy life. We all have different paths we learn these things on. Yeah, we hope so anyways. Um, The wall concerts were about to begin, and she was pregnant with their third child. Things were really changing backstage, and she talks about how, you know, the catering had evolved from stale sandwiches to sushi bars. Um, But of their children, Ginger says that David was a wonderful and natural-born father. She loved watching them all together. She took care of the children, making things normal for them, sending them to school, making their lunches, and she would, like, carve things into, like, their food that would say, like, love and, like... um, And then while he was doing that, she was taking care of the kids, and she was taking care of her physical body as well as her emotional and mental focus. So she was really starting to awaken the divine divine spark within herself. Um, She attended some premieres with the band, and it was Olivia Harrison that helped her find dresses, especially for New York. Aww. Yeah. So this is – she doesn't – I mentioned groupies briefly and like other women and drugs not come whatever but she never elaborated on that and she didn't say whose groupies which members of the band but this is what she does say about other women over the years i found it difficult to deal with all the women who fancied to david women always projected their goddess onto him while at the same time would project psyche daggers of jealousy at the woman in the way in other words me yeah In the process, they would analyze me first to see what they were up against, then judge what their chances were and how to destroy the love connection, hoping David's eyes would shift to them. Fortunately, David seemed oblivious to them. But I knew the energetic game women on the hunt play. I was sensitive and very aware to the feminine wiles. Shocking at first, being a small-town girl. However, eventually, I discovered a way 
to insulate our relationship and myself. I started to empower my own beauty. Mm. Yeah. So she never talked about other women until after they were separated. And she overheard once somebody being like, I'd really like to get with David. And then somebody else was like, I'll introduce you. So other than that, it doesn't sound like there are any. Yeah. Um, so her path was leading her into more conscious awareness, and Paul and Linda really inspired her as well at the time because they had asked David to play on something. Ginger often questioned how she could live as rock royalty when she saw so much poverty around her. So eventually, she learned to accept her her material prosperity and to use it to help others in need. The band continued to disintegrate as Roger was pushing everyone out, but Ginger says that David held on, and he started to record a solo album at this time. Cool. Good for him. Around this time, she started really painting and taking art lessons with Cecil Collins, who became a mentor for her for, her for years to come. And I love the way that she talks about art, and I think when she is talking about art and describing it and how important it is to her and humanity and all these things, um, and the search of truth and beauty, I think it's some of her best writing. Comes straight from the heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So David was touring, and he did love being on the road, and I think she was kind of taking a step back at this time from the touring. Um, but living out of a suitcase was hard for him. He began to miss his morning cups of tea and his daughters and the dogs and the war- warmth of a home. Um, but he would come home, you know, where he would do things like have his annual fireworks party and, like, George Harrison would come by. Mm-hmm. Um... Ginger's favorite song of David's was Out of the Blue, and she says, I remember how touched I was when David first played it to me. To this day, I feel like it's a message from God for all of us. It is a message that did come out of the blue. It holds an archetypal message within its sorrow and pain. It was as though David spoke from the love deep in his heart as a father and a man. So, we're about 1984 now. Okay. Live Aid was happening. So the world had 16 hours of music that brought tears of joy to many. And she watched it at home as she was pregnant with their fourth fourth child. She told David about the pregnancy and it seemed to be um, the only one that he had more of a reaction to that wasn't particularly positive. She knew he was under a lot of stress with the band, but she didn't quite know how much because he wouldn't share it with her. There was a lot of financial burden happening at the time and this wouldn't manifest really until later. But the baby was born, and there was their first son. So they had three daughters, and then they had a son. And so it's a funny little story. Alice, their first daughter, really wanted to name him John. Hmm. And they hadn't decided on a name yet, but they were like, it's not going to be John. (laughs) And so one day, they got a phone call, and it was Olivia Harrison calling about the name. But Alice answered, and Olivia asked Alice the name of the baby, and she said, John. So the Harrisons sent them a gift to honor his birth, an engraved silver egg cup and spoon that said, John Gilmore. (laughs) They ended up naming him Matthew, but to appease Alice, his name is Matthew John Gilmore. And you can actually find him online because yeah. he's a musician and he's cute. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Ginger was really into her painting and they moved into a place called Monksbridge. She says, I was in a highly creative painting cycle upstairs in our little den, which connected to our entire ensuite bathroom and bedroom. Everywhere I had large canvases leaning against the bookshelves, the fireplace, the desk, the window, the floor. I would go from one to the other as the impulse came to me. Plus, it was convenient to paint there for the girls could be splashing in our bath getting ready for bed while I would draw or paint in the connecting room. She started to have art shows and exhibitions, um, and things were starting to get really strained with David. She said, our eyes stopped meeting. I kept looking. He was holding more than tension. He was holding a secret. Mm. Um, I think the secret had more to do with financial difficulties. Um, It was hard to say, but, like, again, she doesn't mention, like, other people. But she knew things were changing, and it was – and it hurt. It hurt her heart. Ginger started learning and practicing a form of therapy which works with the energy of love and color. Its main intention is to guide the person to find their own healer within. So Ginger was able to travel to places of inner calm and a whole new um, journey of health began for her. 
She talks about renting a house on Lake Ontario that they loved, Christmas is spent together, skiing on New Year's with their friends and family, and Deep Purple was there. Um, David went on tour to Australia, where she and Matthew were then going to meet up with him in Japan. Uh, the girls all stayed home because they were in school at the time and unable to leave, um, so they had a nanny at home and a nanny on the road. She says that at this point, the Floyd concert consisted of congregations of family, film stars, and known musicians as before, and also philosophers and spiritual leaders of the times, and the roadies were like big brothers to all the kids on tour. Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Since her last tour in Japan in 1972, a lot had changed spiritually with her because now it's 1985. She was really into Eastern philosophy, meditation, and abstained from all drugs and alcohol at this point. She loved life so much and lived based on beauty, goodness, and truth, and the truth of what we are truly as human beings. And it's just pure love. Yeah. (laughs) David was wearing thin from the years of touring and being with a band that was so emotionally difficult to handle. He was tired, his stress was showing, and he would stay out late. Um, He would come home from tour, promising to spend time at home, but but continue to just go and work in the studio really late into the night. She said that their home began to be filled with broken promises. He said he'd be home for dinner. He wouldn't be. He said he would call if he was late. He wouldn't. He said he would take the kids to school, but he couldn't get up. Um, and so Ginger covered for him with the kids so the kids wouldn't be hurt. Hmm. So one day she'd had enough and brought him his suitcase to the studio and asked where he had been. Yeah. And he didn't answer her. She said that he was comfortably numb. The song had become the man. Mm-hmm. So she said she needed him and that she wanted him to come back when he was ready to be with them. And he never came back. Wow. It's almost like, just like that? Yeah. Of course, she was grief-stricken. Um, you know, imagine what that must feel like after all those years when you meet somebody when you're 22. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. it's wild that she actually found all of this spiritual awakening being attached to a person and children. Yeah, for sure. Like, props to her. Yeah. So she wondered if there was life after David Gilmore. But she picked herself up saw that there was future freedom and entered her life and her future as a single mother with four lovely children. So her spiritual journey continued. She was like invited to luncheons, the Dalai Lama, which put her in touch with the founder of International Dolphin Wash that would later on be very important to her. So old wounds started to dissolve. She was growing into her own identity, separate from anyone, but also one with everything. She went towards love and in terms of loving herself infinitely in order to experience infinite love. She uncovered more of her inner beauty, how to follow her path, who she was as an artist, and to bathe in the essence of the art of living. Good for her. She came to the realizations such as, we are the co-creators of our world. If only we realized how much we have the power to create heaven on earth, and it lies within our hearts. Yeah, so her and David were living in separate houses at this point. Um, She found out later that he would answer the phone that they lived in with House of Broken Dreams. Yeah, and actually Graham Nash ended up writing a song about that, which you can listen to online. It's really sad. But her healing became dependent on her self-realization. And one thing she became aware of in her therapy sessions, her hypnosis journey and journey into Jungian theory was that she would always feel pain in her stomach like she was kicked every time there was tension between her and David or tension like she was letting people down or anything like that and so she ended up going into a hypnosis state um where she went back into an, an early regression of a childhood memory when she was three years old when she was like crawling around on the streets and she must have like gotten lost from her family and a man picked her up brought her to um like a room somewhere and was like holding on to her and like touching her and kissing her and she was screaming and screaming screaming three years old and the man ended up dropping her kicking her in the stomach leaving the room and then she was found by another woman crying and brought to a police station oh my god but ginger only knew over the years that her dad's side of the family would laugh about the time that ginger just ended up 
at a police station at the other side of town, and no one knew how she got there. Wow. Wow. Once she figured that stuff out, once she figured out that, like, that happened, that experience happened, she shared it with David, and she never felt that sensation of her stomach again. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So, you know, she had no verbal skills at the time, so you can imagine what that does to a human's being. Yeah. It was her inner private life her whole life. Mm-hmm. Shy, silent, afraid to be hurt. Right? But with this knowledge and acknowledgement, she says, a new future laid before me. Wow. So David did go with her to a therapy session once, but it seemed like he was not really happy with it and the strong women in Ginger's life that were influencing her into deeper understanding of spirituality. The therapist said to David, David, have you ever considered that both Mrs. Tweedy and Cecil Collins, if you want to read and like learn about them and like their spiritual teachings, it's more in her book. I like, I wish I could get into it, but I can't. We're yeah. in terms of time. Cool. Um, David, have you ever considered that both Mrs. Tweedy and Cecil Collins were giving her a more positive mother and father presence to heal her childhood experiences? He was silent. She says, we left that day in separate cars, separate houses, separate lives. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, in the future, Ginger did go to a Pink Floyd concert. And though she was anxious that the music would stir old wounds, she found that it didn't. And she was instead grateful for her life. She didn't have to run away when she heard the songs playing in shops or restaurants. She was happy to be herself and that everything... Of the, everything And that evening, the concert helped wash and temper the pain. She's really excellent at confronting things or what, you know, we would, they would call facing the veil. Okay. Right? That, like, going up to it, facing it, acknowledging it, and then able to let it go instead of stuffing, 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 and then... Yeah. Right. So, they ended up divorcing, again, sparking the question, is there life after David Gilmore? Um, Ginger looked for a new home and a fresh start for the kids. Uh, her stable life of making lunches for them and doing things with a partner were gone and she really had to learn how to carry the load. Imagine being with somebody since you were 22 and now being like in your 30s or 40s and like everything is flipped. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of finding education for her kids, she said, honestly, I searched and searched but did not find my heart's desire in our area. They were just not forward thinking or creative enough for me. I strongly felt that a school should draw out what lies innate in a child, not to just develop one memory or accepted facts of what a society wanted. I wanted them to be in an environment which encouraged them to really think from their sole purpose. Not much to ask. Seems it was. <laughs> so... That's pretty, like, I like her idea of, like, you know, kind of hippie mom, like, (laughs) like, wanting to get the kids into Montessori and stuff. Like, Mm. I get it. Um, You're my girl, Ginger. Um, So, she said, there I walked amongst a different group of people far away from rock and roll. So, she was starting to go to conferences. She was starting to go to lectures. You know, she was seeing that there was another type of man and woman in the world. Men who consciously seek to reveal their hearts without fear, but with dignity. Women who had the courage, who dared to stand for equality with compassion as bridges for humanity. The men stood tall in their masculine strength and wisdom, their edges softened by their hearts. The women walked radiant in their shining beauty. Love and wisdom held hands. I remember thinking that if I am to have another relationship, let it be more spiritually conscious. Amazing. So that must have been, like, a really, like, a main thing, right? Like, David's being stifled by this band and this, like, all of this stuff, and she's just on this totally other plane of, like, mm mm-hmm. Yeah. So she just continued to find peace and understanding in her work as a human on the planet. You know, finding balance within herself and committing herself to be of the highest service to help humanity, like to help humanity. In her home, she had a conservatory, a koi fish pond, three creative studios, two workrooms, a mini gym, a meditation room, and a lecture room. Oh, <laughs> hello. So she did end up finding somebody and, you know, he was very conscious and he also helped her to get over like the things with David and to really see the divine things that came out of that relationship and not to see it as like poison or anything. Um, And, you know, it really seems like she was kind of talking with the people that were like, you know, the thought leaders of the time, which was, like, kind of our modern-day, like, Gabrielle Bernstein and, um, you know, all of those people who are just kind of calling on for more light workers in the world. Yeah. In a time of, like, really difficult things that are 
you know, when our, our world is, is so difficult and we see these images of pain and destruction and hurt to call upon the light workers of the world to declare it yeah. and to make as much good as they can happen, right? Um, speaking of light workers, let's do a little shout out to Hannah Alper, who yes. is on Bloomberg's One to Watch in 2018. Yes. Because she is one of those, Absolutely. you know, little people, little like big people, just yes. like spirit, who's really making radical changes and yeah. just by, you know, being out there, talking about things, sharing yeah. Yeah, so, you know, Ginger is really seeking to heal and, un, like, and to uplift people. Um, she says that the art of the future will need to feed the interior life of the individual. There must be a revolution of human consciousness. We need to return to the eternal values, which are being human and divine. Hmm. So. This was, like, the perfect book for you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right? <laughs> and also, there's this, like, if you go to Ginger Gilmore's um, website, there's, like, this beautiful page that says, contact me. I'd love to hear from you. And there's this beautiful picture of her smiling. And I'm like, can't wait to contact her <laughs> and just tell her how much her book means to me. Just, I love her so much. Um, so Ginger's work is her way of revealing God's gift within her. Um, so it didn't matter to her anymore what people were saying, you know, that she lived in the land of the fairies. God, angels, beauty, healing, vegetarian. Yeah. And so she was like, poor David, you know, like, <laughs> um, yeah. cause this stuff is probably pretty radical, you know, during time. <laughs> so <sighs> she took this life of pain, fear, judgment, confusion, and turned it into a dream life with happiness and balance. She gave birth to her dreams, her ideas. She created love with Ginger. I mean, with David, yeah. but like, what a Freudian slip. Yeah. She sure did create love with Ginger, you know, herself. Um, because that's what I, you know, was yeah. kind of getting to was love with David, love with her children, but most of all with herself. Yeah. So she thinks that the planet in the world can also come out of the dark and into the light. And that we are at the time um, that the inner core might feel torn apart, but we are to experience a crisis of beauty where people can return to the sacred and divine. So she says that we're facing a rebirth and awakening of consciousness, that we need to change destructive images, like the ones we see on TV, and to choose to create beauty on all levels, both visible and invisible. And this reminds me of Yoko Ono's message, mm -hmm. kind of the same thing, yeah. of creating the peace yeah. as much as we can. Every person counts. Every person's peaceful thought and vibration means something. It counts. It's important. Yeah. A great philosopher once said, we are what we contemplate. In these modern times, mankind is constantly confronted with the images of conflict and world disasters. So she's saying it seems very important to contemplate the beautiful. As you know, it has become my personal crusade as an artist. Ever since I can remember, my innermost nature has always been to do acts of kindness and to create. From saving lost animals, to organizing charitable events, from mothering our four children, to now giving birth to the art of beauty. This is my passion. This is my life. Wow. Yeah. So, lastly, she says, I have come to realize that beauty is not a lead role in a film or being on the front page of Vogue. In fact, beauty is the essence of life itself. It is the invisible key within each of us. There is a spark of beauty, innate, waiting to be awakened. It often comes on the breath of the wind as it moves through the petals of the poppies. You may suddenly turn and catch the rainbow in the sky as the rain falls from the clouds lit by the sun. That's so beautiful. She is such a, like, you, you definitely would want to, like, be around her. I imagine she just has such a great energy and just uplifts everyone that kind of comes in contact with her. Yeah. Even just hearing her story kind of makes you feel a little uplifted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. And she really did focus on like positive things she had nothing but good things to say about David even in the times that like their relationship was you know um disintegrating if anything I think maybe there was like I, I still have some questions really yeah um but you know what that was her choice to 
to reveal so much and yeah. to to focus on the positive. Yeah. 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 And so for the reasons that she chose, you know, could be to just keep private or like because of their children or whatever it was, she does talk about the disintegration of the relationship, but I you know, I'm still a little bit like left to try to put things together yourself yeah. instead of knowing definitively like what else was going on, but that was great. Thank it was, you. It was a beautiful story. She's a beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. Inside and out. Yeah. Like, you can even just see by her pictures, like, the light that's, like, radiating within her being and in her smile and the artwork that she makes. So. I'm excited to check out the artwork. Yeah. And I should post some, too. Like, along, I found so many beautiful pictures to post with the, um, like, to post on the Instagram and stuff. But, like, it's so worth it to, like, see some of her artwork and just even to, like, watch her talk on YouTube. Just her quiet energy of when she talks about things. She's really sweet. She's really unique. I'm going to do that later tonight. Yeah. Okay. That's Thank it. You. That's Ginger Gilmore. Ah, the first Pink thought. Floyd. And my dad's a huge David Gilmore fan, so... That one was for you, too, Daddy-O. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, our next episode is going to just be a little rewind on, you know, all the things that we are positive about. And yeah. I'm really looking forward to discussing all of that with you. Yeah, me too. And if you've made it to the end of this episode and you notice that the sound quality is a little bit different... <laughs> it's because we're recording a little bit differently today because I forgot some stuff for our gear but you know what like it's a DIY like yeah this is this is great I'm loving it everything like we just look at the bright side of the moon all the time the message was there yeah yeah so I hope it's okay but um either way thanks for listening yeah thank you as always Dear listeners, you can find us online, muses um, and stuff. Just, just Google it. It's there. And same thing on Instagram and at Twitter. I mean, on Twitter, we are at Shanti and Links. Yes. Okay. Goodbye for now, everybody. Have you ever watched a futuristic sci-fi movie and wondered, but wait, could any of this really happen? And will I live long enough to see it? That's what our show Hypothetical is about. I'm Carrie Bechet, and on this podcast, we ask what-if questions about the future. Like, what if we could read minds? What if the world's digital data was erased all at once? What would happen if the Yellowstone supervolcano erupted? Then we explore that question two ways, through speculative science fiction and through dialogue with brilliant scientists. The result is a genre-bending narrative that's interwoven with real facts provided by literal geniuses. And, spoiler alert, a lot of the science fiction out there, it's not nearly as far-fetched as you might think. Come time travel with me into the future on Hypothetical. New episodes on Tuesdays available on all your favorite podcast apps. Just search Hypothetical. That's H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L.